All right, so um, as that's going on, we're going to look to the scriptures, and if we can go ahead and start that recording. Uh, Today we're talking about hearing God's voice in a discerning community, and we're going to kind of hit a lot of Bible today, Um, so make sure you have one ready to rock. Uh, There should be some paper Bibles in the chairs there, uh, or if you're, you know, if, if you're using, you know, this, this kind of a thing to look at your Bible, uh, you can look at it there, too. We'll also have it up on the screen. But just as we turn to the scriptures, uh, I'd kind of like to ask God to speak to us. So I'm going to just pray real quick. So, Lord, I just ask that we would be a community that will do the work of waiting to hear your voice. Lord, that we would not just rush off and do whatever seems like the best idea to us. Um, but that we would really hear what you want us to do and do that, even if it's costly or difficult. And I ask that you would um, speak to us today through your word, uh, that somehow the words I speak, uh, that those would come from you, and that, um, yeah, that we could be changed by what you have to say to us. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I think... uh, we, we have to recognize when we start to talk about hearing God's voice, because I think oftentimes many of us are, are tempted to say, oh man, you know, I just, I wish I had direction. I wish I could, I wish I just knew what God wanted me to do. I wish it was clear what the Lord was saying, then I would just be able to do that, and then, you know, I wouldn't be so anxious, or I wouldn't be so full of indecision. I think one thing that we have to recognize is that we really have to be ready to hear whatever God wants to say to us if we are seeking God's voice. And so one thing that John Wimber said, uh, which I thought was kind of humorous, is he said, one question you never want to ask God is, what's wrong with me? Because he'll tell you. Uh, which, you know, you can kind of catch, uh, catch the sarcasm in there. Of course, he didn't mean don't ask that question, but he's just saying, you know, hey, listen, if you want to hear God speak, get ready to hear God speak to you. It might not just be all warm fuzzies. It might not be uh, just what you want to hear, but God will tell you what you need to hear, uh, and it's important to be open to whatever that is. I think of the uh, Steve Martin movie from like the late 70s, early 80s. I think it was it's called something like The Man with two, he- two Brains or something like that, but anyway, there's this scene where Steve Martin, uh, has his wife has died, and he's met this other woman who's uh, like a gold digger, and he's he's standing in his office in front of a portrait of his dead wife, and he he says, you know, if I shouldn't marry this woman, would you send me a sign? And then suddenly the lights start, you know, turning on and off, and the wind starts blowing, and the picture starts spinning around, and, like, it's just really cheesy, bad, you know, effects. It's supposed to be comical, you know. Uh, and then, you know, all this stuff happens, and, and, and a voice says, no, no, you know, it's really cheesy, it's really cheesy. And then it all stops, and he says, just some kind of sign, you know? If, if I'm not supposed to do this, just give me some kind of sign. And, and I think that sometimes we approach God that way a little bit, right? You know, like I think that before we ask, you know, what is God saying, I think it's important to know, are we listening? And I think that's why Jesus, who knows this about humanity, having lived himself as a man in flesh and blood, having struggled with the same things we struggle with, you know, repeats this phrase over and over again throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament Gospels. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear, right? And we talked about this maybe a few months ago, this idea of, 
you know, Shema Israel is this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. The Lord your God is one. Uh, that's this kind of ancient prayer that the, that, the he, that the Hebrew people were very familiar with. It was very foundational to their faith. You might say it was sort of their creed and their, uh, you know, kind of their Lord's prayer, right? Uh, and ours as well. But uh, this, this idea of Shema, this idea of hearing, uh, in, implies with it a, a sense of if you hear, then you will also obey, Right? If you, if, you, if you really hear what God is saying, you know, it's, it's very similar in the way that we might talk to our children. No, listen to me. Like, listen to what I'm saying. Really hear what I'm telling you to do. I'll know that you've heard if you do what I say, right? And so the question of are we available to God? Do we really want to hear what God has to say? I think is a good question and a good place to start before we seek God's face. Like, are there things that we're hiding from him or that we don't want to talk to him about? If we can ask him to show us those things or, or if we can be aware of those things as we seek the voice of God, just coming to a place of really being open and honest with God, I think is sometimes a necessary first step to being able to hear what he has to say. And then once we've kind of gotten to that place, we, we find that, you know, one thing that's very handy to us is that the voice of God sounds like the voice that we read in Scripture. And I, I mean that in a couple of ways. One, I do mean that I think that the biblical authors were, in fact, inspired. I mean that God was speaking and inspiring what they wrote. Uh, but also that when we look to the Scriptures, we find out what God's character is like. So that when he speaks to us in what we might call a supernatural way or a prophetic way, or, or we hear his voice just through the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believing Christians, that if that voice matches what we find in Scripture, then there's a pretty good chance that, that yeah, that's the voice of God. That's what God sounds like. I know what God sounds like because I've read something like that in the Scriptures. Jesus really kind of emphasizes this in his sort of, uh, you know, summative sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 through 7, there's this famous section of teaching where Jesus really kind of condenses and intensifies the Old Testament law and the prophets, right? He kind of takes all these things that, that are said in the Hebrew scriptures, and he really, uh, he really clarifies and intensifies them and says them very directly. Uh, and he says this about, and he says this at one point, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest level, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. If you have ever met uh, a Jewish biblical scholar, they might, they might rephrase this as not one jot or tittle uh, of, the, of the scriptures will disappear, right? Not, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law— you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think that we're living in a time where church is really not cool. Have you noticed? Like, I kind of, 
sometimes, even as a pastor, even feeling very called, being very sure of my faith, having bet much of my life on this thing, having made significant sacrifices to ch- serve the church, and, like, I, I'm kind of a professional Christian in some ways, right? Like, I mean, that's sort of my job, all right? I find that I still struggle with maybe some sense of shame when I talk to some people about feeling about being a believer in Jesus because of just all the stuff that's swirling in the air. You know, Christians hate gay people and they're pro-war and they, you know, are you know are immoral and hypocritical and 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 all these things that 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 we hear um, and are kind of lambasted with, or at least I'm lambasted with on my Facebook feed and. And the news that I hear on the on the media, and and uh, you know, to be fair, a, a lot of that criticism is valid because there are horrible Christians everywhere, right? And and the thing that we learn when we study church history is that the church is always on the wrong side of history. Have you noticed that? I mean, there's always some part of the church that's on the right side of history, but there's also always some part of the church that's on the wrong side of history because Jesus is so indiscriminate in who he will allow to claim him and who he will let be a part of this thing. He lets messed up, totally wicked, you know, just awful people come to him and receive his grace and receive his teaching and his instruction. And and sometimes those people speak before they're, you know, really ripe and before they're fully formed in the character of Christ. And, and you've experienced this in this church because I know because you know me. Right? I mean, like, we, we, we are part of this thing that, that started and continues to be sustained by the grace of God. And it's God's work in us as completely broken, uh, you know, uh, unproud human beings that that uh that makes this thing go i mean it's it's jesus work on us to us through us and within us that that makes this thing happen and so jesus is kind of issuing this this challenge to the to the mostly uneducated people that are listening to him and says that unless you are more righteous than these people who have dedicated their lives to the study of the scriptures unless you are 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 more righteous unless you are more intense about your relationship with God than these people who claim to represent him, these hypocrites who claim to be religious authorities, then you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, geek out on God. Geek out on the scriptures. Geek out on the word. Geek out on the, the things of God and be even more intense than people who sort of puff themselves up with their knowledge uh, perhaps even of the Bible, it's not the knowledge that matters, it's the obedience to God. And we want to take the Bible seriously and live under its authority, like live, actually live under its authority, not just know a lot about it, right? That's what, that's what this is saying, that's what Jesus is saying here. And so when we want to hear the voice of God, one place that we can look to is the scriptures. We can see how God has worked within sinful human beings, within judgmental, hypocritical people throughout the course of history and throughout the life of the church. Secondly, I think it's important for us to remember and important for us to be able to identify and parse that the voice of God is challenging, but it is not condemning. The voice of God is challenging. Often, it's very challenging. 
but it is not condemning. What I mean by that is often Jesus says hard things. Like, we just looked at one of them, right? And, like, if you want a good punch in the gut, just, like, read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Something in there will strike you. It's like, oh, man, yeah, I'm not, not really quite living up to all that if you read through it on any kind of a regular basis. But the, but the voice of God isn't telling us that we're not measuring up to say you're worthless and you're horrible and there's no hope for you. That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the accuser. The voice of God challenges us with the hope that we're able to grow. The voice of God challenges us and warns us about the consequences of not obeying Jesus to save us from destruction. The voice of God challenges us and says things to us that might be difficult for us to hear, that might be very difficult for us to do or to implement, so that we rely on him for grace to grow through those difficult things. It's important for us to not let the enemy beat us up with the word of God. And oftentimes, my experience anyway, when I read the scriptures, is I'll read something difficult and I just think, man, I'm failing at that so poorly. Like, I don't, I don't really love the poor. Like, I look at this, I look at my own life, man, I, I like barely am able to be like slightly brave enough to talk to people like they're people. And I see this example of Jesus and, and the radical hospitality that people practice in the New Testament. I'm just think, man, I'm nowhere close to that. How do I, I don't think that God wants me to just wallow in my self-pity and self-flagellate and tell myself that I'm horrible and bad. That's not the voice of God. The voice of God is an invitation to growth. The voice of God is saying, hey, let's look at this area of your life. Let's make some progress. Let's see what we could do. Let's, Let's take a step in the direction that you want to go, realizing that you will need my grace every step of the way. That's what the voice of God sounds like. God's voice is challenging. He often says things that are difficult to us to hear. He often says things that are difficult for us to do and calls us to things that are, quite frankly, beyond us. You know, (laughs) heal the sick. uh, Okay, you know, like what? (laughs) what (laughs) That's not going to happen because I'm awesome, right? That's going to happen because God lives in me and his grace is at work and his power happens. It's not going to happen because I believe hard enough. It's not going to happen because I'm brave enough or because I know the scriptures deeply enough or I know just the right words to say. If somebody's going to be healed through the hands that I put on people, it's not my hands, right? It's God's power at work within us, all right? And so the voice of God is challenging, but it is not condemning. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's Jesus talking about himself in the third person, which, like, Jesus can pull that off. You know, he can, he can make that work. Like, <laughs> it might be kind of arrogant for me to, for Josh did not, no. You know, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then Jesus says some other very challenging things in that same passage. I'll let you read John 3 on your own time. Third, and this is one where we're going to spend a lot of time here. We're just going to kind of do kind of a crash course from Genesis to Revelation over these next few minutes. Uh, but the voice of God is not fearful. The voice of God 
should not make us afraid. It doesn't inspire dread. It doesn't inspire feelings of doom and hopelessness. It does not, uh, it does not fill us with fear. Now, I think, you know, what, Josh, what about all those Bible verses that say, you know, fear the Lord and serve him only, or, you know, that you know, talk about the fear of God, all right? When we understand the fear of God that way, what we're talking about is respect. What we're talking about is, like, truly understanding who God is and all of his power and all of his majesty and our relatively low status in comparison to that. That's kind of what we're, what we're looking at when we talk about the fear of the Lord. But if we experience fear when God speaks to us, or if we experience fear when God asks us to do something challenging, if we're afraid to pray for the sick, if we're afraid to share our faith, if we're afraid to really open up about our sin and our stuff, if we're afraid to like really pursue friendships with people that would be vulnerable and open in which we would like have to kind of rely on them, or if we're uh, afraid to say hello to a neighbor or to, you know, really face some some stuff that we just need to deal with in our own personal lives, any place that we're experiencing that kind of a fear, that fear is a result of sin and shame and the fall. And we live in this time where the kingdom of God is breaking in, where sometimes people do get healed, but it's also not yet. Like, we're waiting for everyone to be resurrected and, like, for death to end, Right? Anyone who gets healed, even if they come back from the dead, is going to have to die again until Jesus returns, right? We're living in this time of, of the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And so we're experiencing the not yet when we experience fear in relationship um, with God. And, you know, Wimber had this quote, and I've, I wanted to look it up. I couldn't find it because somebody borrowed the book, which I'm really glad about. Keep it. Read, it, read the whole thing. Um, but somebody... Uh, snagged the book that I think has the quote in it from the Lending Library. But Wimber says, you know, one time he was asked, you know, how do you know that you, that the anointing of God is really on you to heal? Uh, and he replied with something like, and I'm going to paraphrase here, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but he said, well, you know, the way I know that God is about to heal somebody is uh, I, I suddenly feel very uncomfortable, and uh, my tongue swells up, and I start to sweat profusely, and I kind of forget even my own name or how to speak, and I just feel completely helpless and uh, and terrified, and that's how I know that God is really with me to heal. Now, hopefully you're laughing at that quote. What, what Wimber was not saying in that is he was not saying that God was ministering fear to him, but he was responding to a person who was saying, you know, what's the silver bullet, right? There's kind of an implicit, you know, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is really on you to heal? You know, that person's sort of asking, you know, how do I know for sure that I, I can take a risk for God and that it'll turn out the way that I want to? And Wimber was saying emphatically, you don't, right? There's always a sense of risk. There's always a sense of needing to actually trust God to show up in ways that we can't force or manufacture or manipulate him to show up. That's what he was getting at. He wasn't saying that God causes us to be afraid. What Wimber was talking about was he was being, trying to be open and honest and just say, like, I, too, experience spiritual warfare, and I, too, experience insecurity when I pray for people. I'm just like all of you fellas and ladies, gals, right? All right? And so 
the voice of God is anything but fearful. And just to like really drive this home, we're just going to kind of blast through a whole bunch of scripture. All right? So, starting in Genesis. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward, as he's calling Abram to go into battle and save his nephew Lot. Uh, The night the Lord appeared to him, and this is Isaac, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down for Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. When Moses is speaking on God's behalf to the people of Exodus, this is like right as the chariots are, are coming to, 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 to get them as they're, as they're leaving Egypt. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then in Deuteronomy, Moses says, as kind of one of his last dying breaths, when you go to war against your enemies and see the horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. Isaiah, later on in, in 2 Kings, after the kingdom has been established and there's all kinds of terrible sin on the part of, of, of the Hebrew kings, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you have heard, these words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria blasphemed me. And right after this, God basically smites the opposing enemy uh, and saves the, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Isaiah says in chapter 54 to the people in exile, he says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood saying this prophetic promise, don't be afraid that God won't make right what has fallen apart because people have disobeyed him. Don't be afraid that that the people of God will continue to live in exile and that the Lord's name will be forgotten, or that the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob won't be fulfilled. Don't be afraid that Babylon will overcome and and the kingdoms of this dark world, of this present evil age, of all the empires of this world, don't be afraid of them. Don't be worried that they will overpower you as exiles in a foreign land. You will not be put to shame. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place. Your descendants will come, will, your descendants from the land of exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. This is what Jeremiah says to the exiles. In Ezekiel, I will make your forehead like the hardest stone. This is God speaking to Ezekiel, trying to give him courage to speak to a rebellious people. He says, I will make your forehead, Ezekiel, like the hardest of stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. He's talking about the people of God who are supposed to, you know, who are supposed to embrace prophets, but instead kill them. Uh, in Luke, the angel appears, right? And finally, we get to this New Testament. We, we, we're waiting for all these promises. We're hoping that that the people of God who are supposed to be this shining example to the world who are in exile because of their sin, and, and, and they, they're able to get their kind of their country back, but God's presence isn't really there. But Zechariah goes in to w- worship the Lord just before the Christmas story, and, 
And, uh, and this angel is here delivering the news that, that his son, John, will be the forerunner. He'll be the one born in the spirit of Elijah who will, who will declare the coming Messiah. Uh, and the angel says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and, and what is conceived in you is from the Holy Spirit, right? And then after God, like, miraculously works in Mary to bring her, uh, you know, news of, of Jesus' conception and, like, all the, all the incarnate stuff that's, like, so powerful, so awesome— Joseph is freaking out, wants to break up with his girlfriend, with his, with his, uh, with his you know, soon-to-be wife. But after, the, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then after Jesus is born and the Magi visit and the whole meltdown happens with Herod, an angel says to Mary and Joseph, do not be afraid. Oh, hold on. That's the wrong verse. This is the angel who's talking to all the shepherds after Jesus' birth, right? The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then the, the, uh, the, Jesus himself says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's all through the teaching of Jesus. He says, do not be afraid so many times. And peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Right? And then on the day that the women come to, to honor Jesus and, and to, to put spices on his body and to care for his grave and to honor his memory, they come and he's missing. Right? Somebody stole his body. Insult to injury. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And we know how that story ends, right? And then Jesus says to his disciples, to some of the first people who see him alive, he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Paul later is you know, part of this Christian movement that gets, gets going and beginning, and, and, uh, and, and he's in prison thinking he's about to die. And one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And then, and another time, uh, Paul's on a shipwreck, or, or on a ship that's about to get, uh, to get wrecked at sea. And uh, they're like caught in a storm. They like, they're jettisoning the, the cargo, and they're just like trying to survive this thing. Paul's asleep, and he's, he's visited by, an, by another angel. It says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, <laughs> which is so comforting, right? Like, don't worry. You're going to go die this other way, you know? Like, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. And then, actually, that happens. Like, nobody dies. The ship is destroyed, but, but nobody dies. And then John, the revelator, sees Jesus in, in his book, The Revelation, right? And, he, and when, he, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right arm, his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
And Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And so, if we want to hear God's voice, we have to be brave. We have to choose to not be afraid. We have to choose to not embrace fear. We have to choose to not listen to the insecurities, to the things that hold us back, to the fear that if I'm really open and honest about the things that I struggle with, then God won't love me or the people that represent me or represent him won't love me, right? We have to, we have to set aside that fear and walk in the light with each other. If we want to see people healed, we have to not be afraid enough to take a risk and pray for somebody. If we want people to be able to meet Jesus and be able to receive everlasting life and not just die with no hope of resurrection, then we have to not be afraid to talk about what we've experienced and what we've, what we've received from him and what we, what we encounter when we worship him. If we want to see God's kingdom come, if we want to be delivered, if we want to experience hope, then we have to not, we not, have to not wallow in the despair of hopelessness and in, the, and in the, the despair that comes with fearing the future and the, the fatalism and the, and the sense of I can't see a way around this, we have, to, we have to set that aside and embrace God's message of hope. We have to embrace the possibility that God could and will work in the world. The constant refrain throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is do not be afraid. And so while God's voice is challenging, while it may ask us to do scary things, while God might be at work in ways that we are not yet mature enough to be comfortable with, his voice is not the voice of fear. His voice is not the voice of hopelessness. His voice is not the voice of doom and gloom. God's voice is a voice of hope. It is a tender voice of love. And his voice wants to deliver us from fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the path to the dark side. All these things we know from pop culture, right? The voice of God does not sound like fear. Would you stand?